Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big money at Hey, and welcome everyone to another episode of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. I am your host, Jake Mastriani, and with me as always is Alan. Good evening. And Fred. Hi there. And uh, excited to have you with us here uh, again on another episode of the podcast. Not much happening as far as Braves news in the last week since our, our last podcast, but some other stuff going on around Major League Baseball and some, some news on the upcoming season as well that we'll be talking about. Uh, and a couple uh, small items here and there for the Braves, uh, some arbitration stuff and uh, left fielder situation. Before we get into all of that, there was some news coming out of uh, from Rob Manford this past week uh, talking about the upcoming season and the possible length of it. And this was a report from Bob Nightingale of USA Today, which is, is where I saw it. Uh, there were some sources indicating that Manfred has told teams to prepare for a 162-game season, uh, which was um, a little surprising, not not a ton surprising, just because uh, the league, um, you know, probably didn't want to go to war with the players over that because the, the players probably would have won that discussion. Uh, but good news for for baseball fans, I think. Uh, I know I, I was excited to hear that. I, I really want to see a a full season, 162-game schedule. Obviously, I want them to be able to do it safe, and I think the players proved last year that they're able to do it uh, safely, which is why you know I never thought the season would, would get delayed because you know the players want that full salary, that full schedule. So it was good to hear that. We don't really know exactly what the fan situation will look like. It sounds like they're going to leave that up to each individual team as far as capacity-wise and social distancing. Uh, I'm sure there will be plenty of that, especially when the season begins. But uh, who knows, maybe by the end of the season we'll we'll have full attendance again. Uh, I know owners are, are hoping that uh, to be the case. Um, there was also a note in there that they're still talking about the DH and possible postseason expansion again for 2021. <laughs> again, it's, it's quite embarrassing that we're this far into the – the off season and we don't have these these decisions made yet, particularly with the DH. I think that's holding up a lot of the free agent market, especially with these corner infield, corner outfield bats that you know also play or, or who would be uh, primed for a DH spot, you know, like Ozuna. And then the other kind of MLB news is that Theo Epstein uh, is now a consultant for Major League Baseball. I don't, I don't know how big of a deal that is. Uh, to any of our listeners, but I know a lot of the people were excited to see him uh, put into the fold there, uh, and a lot of people think that he could have some good ideas for gameplay and making it a little little better, which could be good. Obviously, uh, MLB needs some help in that area and growing the game, uh, so we'll see how that works out for Theo before he likely takes another GM job next offseason, but uh, Alan, I'll, I'll kick it to you first. Any any thoughts uh, on any of those items? 
I'm just curious what Theo thinks he might be able to do. Uh, he is obviously a guy who's been thinking about the subject for a long time and, and will tell anybody who he can sit down for five minutes uh, everything he wants to say on the subject. But I, I really feel like his hands are tied largely because – I mean, the game is the game, and you're not going to be able to do a lot of things to the game. You, yeah, you can put up clocks and yell at batters to get back in the box and things like that, but the real problem that we've gotten into in, in terms of game length is the commercials and the ads in between innings and such. And that, uh, that's not getting any shorter it, unless you can cut that back to a couple minutes or less than, you you see people complain about games on your smartphones when you've got too many ads. You you do a level and then you get an ad, and then you, it breaks up your momentum and you don't want to play the game as much. I think the same thing happens with baseball. You you break up too many things with too many ads in in between innings. You end up not having a flow for the game, and and that's what. My complaint is about it. I don't know how you solve that, though, because everything's money-driven now, and you've got to have that money uh, coming from somewhere. So, uh, again, I I just think that uh, Theo's ideas are, are are fine, but how he implements them is going to be interesting considering that the, the biggest problem is something that he really can't do anything about. Yeah, no, Alan, you obviously bring up a good point there. I I don't know if it helps at all for, for me. It does, but whenever they show the – they go to break and they have the commercials, but still have the uh, field on in the background. I, I don't know why, but that at least keeps me uh, keeps my attention for a little bit longer. Because being the baseball fan I am, I'll sit there and watch a, a pitcher toss warm up pitches and the infield take <laughs> ground balls. But yeah, that at least to me is is more entertaining than sending it to a full on commercial break, um, doing the ads that way. So there's my vote for for doing more of that, but. Um, Fred, any any comments on uh, possible having a full season, uh, DH or Epstein? Well, I always thought they were going to have a full season. Uh, Manfred was sort of up a creek against the CBA, but that uh, had to pretty well do that. Uh, the players wanted it, and CBA said he was going to do it. Uh, I, I don't think he ever thought he wasn't going to do it. He, that was one of these trial balloons. He floated out there, and it didn't make it three foot off the ground before somebody pulled it down and stomped on it. Uh, the Theo's a consultant to MLB. He's not working. He's not assigned to the MLB office. He is a consultant to evaluate rule changes. That's what I. That's the way I heard it anyway. So if we're looking at rule changes and the effect on the field of keeping the ball in play more often, then you're talking about things like you know um, legislating the shift, which I think is dumb, but okay, and. Uh, things like that, uh, cutting that. They want he wants to cut down on strikeouts. I'm not sure how you do that. One of the things that nobody's mentioned that I think would would change the game a lot is to redefine the balk rule. Right now, if the pitcher's eyebrow twitches, uh, and Balkan Bob's going to call a balk on him, that's dumb. Okay, <laughs> he's not trying. To, he's not trying to uh, confuse the runner with that. Uh, although one of the old Soccer coaches used to say, "Well, he's not trying to confuse the runner. What's he doing on the mound?" But, but, but if, but if you want to get more excitement in the game and you want to see more athleticism and you want to see players running more often, make it easier for them to run. You still have to keep him close. You still have to good move. But this, this, this idea that uh, his arm twitched and that's a balk. I, 
I don't like that very much. I think that just that's really annoying, and a lot of people don't understand it. I would change that. But other than that, he's just going to evaluate things that they've been talked about or he's talked about. He probably picked up the phone, as Alan said, and said, hey, Rob, you got about an hour? I want to tell you some what I'd do to, if I was in charge. And so Rob hired him as a consultant. I, again, I, don't, I agree with Alan. I don't know what he's going to get done, but I hope it's something. I watched uh, when I was in Europe uh, all those years, uh, they would run the commercials down the side of the screen, uh, in a bar down the side of the screen while the game was going on. Cause they did, they did, they don't stop soccer for commercials over there. Uh, you have to run the commercial while the game's going in a scroll somewhere. And that's what you got. And I would be all for that. I, they did cut the inning length time between innings down by 30 seconds last year. Um, and, but that's not putting the all in play. That just means that they're ready to go 30 seconds quicker. So I don't know. I'm not sure what it's going to be. I know Joe Posnanski is real ups, excited about it, and uh, maybe there is something magical in Theo's box, but I don't know what it would be. All right. Um, the only other kind of news item um, not pertaining to the Braves that I wanted to mention at the top is um, before we came on here, the, the Phillies signed Archie Bradley for $6 million. Obviously, we know the Phillies got a lot of work to do in their bullpen, and uh, Bradley will certainly help. And then old friend Alex Wood uh, signed a $3 million deal uh, with the Giants, we're starting to see the reliever market pick up uh, a good bit. Liam Hendricks signed a massive deal with the White Sox earlier in the week, so uh, we could start seeing that uh, market take shape. Uh, I still think the Braves will probably get another reliever or two, or at least I, I feel like they should uh, get another veteran reliever or two. So we'll see how that uh, pans out. Um, the only really Braves news item that I think we'll see in the next couple of days is that uh, on Friday, and, and this podcast usually gets posted on Saturday, uh, but on Friday is the deadline for um, teams and, and uh, players to file for arbitration, for arbitration-eligible players. Uh, that right now is Dansby Swanson, Mike Soroka, Max Fried, and A.J. Minter. Um, they have yet to come to an agreement on those arbitration-eligible players, so it's possible that we see um, those contracts put in place uh, on Friday. Um, if not, the Braves are usually a file and trial team, which means that if they don't come to agreement, then uh, they'll wait till the arbitration hearing and, and see uh, how that goes. Um, also, during this time, sometimes we'll see teams buy out the final years of a player's arbitration, um, of their arbitration years. I think that's a possibility, especially for somebody like Dansby Swanson, who I believe has two years of arbitration left before becoming a free agent. Um, so it's possible we see some of that as well. But um, Fred, any any comments on the arbitration guys and what we might see there? Well, I think two of them are going to uh, be pretty easy signs. I, I don't see A.J. Mentor arguing about arbitration a lot. Um, and I don't think Dansby's going to be an argument either. The, the, the pitchers are the ones, uh, Soroka and Freed, and and the Braves and the and the agents have a problem here because Mike didn't pitch last year, Freed pitched almost all of it last year, but it was sixty games. And how do you relate that to a full season's worth? Uh, do you prorate it? Do you what do you do? The agents are going to take one side, and the the teams are going to take another. And it, it's going to be a it's going to be a mess if uh, they can't come to some kind of agreement in there about some kind of middle road on there. But I I really think. Uh, two of them will certainly sign uh, without much of an argument. Uh, I would like to see him buy out Swanson. Um, I don't know that he's going to do that. 
the, the other thing about the arbitration is that once the numbers are in, then teams know who they're going to trade and, and who they're going to keep and how, how much money they've got left to sign somebody else. And somebody you know, on one of the shows today said that there are 100, 100 arbitration-eligible players out there who haven't haven't agreed. And if if they go to trial, if that many go to go to go to a trial situation, um, you could see this drag on a lot longer than it normally does, uh, and and that would screw a lot of things up. Uh, of course, the Chris Bryant arbitration figure is something the Cubs want, so they can trade him. And there are a couple of others out there like that. I don't think it's a serious issue for the Braves. They're not waiting on arbitration, in my opinion to uh, make, a, make a bid for Ozuna or anybody else. I think that uh, everybody's sitting back and waiting. And somebody said, again, quoting somebody, I can't remember who, said, well, you know, you're, you're in a market where you've got multiple players who are, who are about the same player. So if you don't sign Ozuna uh, as a DH, do you go sign Boomstick and, and bring Cruz in as a DH? Uh, do you, you know, do you pick up somebody, do the, the Mets signed Jose Martinez today. He shouldn't even own a glove. And uh, but they, why? Why did they do that? They have Dom Smith out there who's going to DH for them. So there's there's a lot of this going on, and there, it makes one wonder if maybe Sandy Alderson got a little heads up from somebody about the DH. I don't know. I just think that uh, you know n- normally by now we'd be down to one or two players that we knew were going to were going to go to a, a trial, but. Now we're down to the deadline, and and nobody's actually put pen to paper. And I don't know what to make of that. I don't know whether it's the agents, whether it's the players, whether it's the uncertainty about the season. I just don't know. But I expect two of them to sign and and two of them to fight. Yeah, and Soroka is really interesting case for the Braves as well because, yeah, he's been your best pitcher. He's your ace, but he's also spent a majority of his major league service time on the disabled list and. With that, got that Super 2 status so that he became arbitration eligible this offseason. So it's it's difficult for the Braves because they feel like they've hit this a little early and they're going to have to give him, you know, a, a payday, probably not a big payday, but, you know, maybe one that they weren't expecting or um, foreseeing. So that's a tricky situation there, and pitchers are just tricky in general, I think, when it comes to this. That's why I think if, if anybody – you know, the easier one, like you said, should be Swanson and then, you know, Mentor being a reliever. You know, maybe he's hoping to to to, to cash in on the big season he had in 2020. Uh, I don't know, but I think those two get done. I think if two do go to trial, it'll be Soroka and Freed, but hopefully not. Hopefully they get those taken care of. And, you know, like you're talking about, there's so many arbitration players out there that haven't come to an agreement yet, and it's probably – you know, because of the tricky situation of the 2020 season and how teams are evaluating players. But, you know, Alan, I think that's really what's holding up a lot of this is that the 2020 season is such a small sample size. You know, what what argument really does a player have for, you know, such a, a short sample? It's so tricky that the MLB trade rumors site, uh, when they did their arbitration projections, came up with three sets of numbers, uh, basically a low, a high, and something – I guess is their best guess in in what might happen. So far, we've got a couple of guys uh, do settle with their teams. Dylan Floro of the Dodgers 
MLB trade rumors suggested a low of 900k, a high of 1.2 million, so about 300,000 uh, off of that. They settled, uh, the Dodgers and Floro settled at 975, so it was on the low side of that, just under, I guess, a, a third higher than that low number. The Rockies have settled with Michael Givens. Now that number is, is quite a bit more interesting because the, the estimate on that started at 3.4 million, went to a high of 4.3 million. And the team and, and the player have settled at 4.05 million. So that was quite a bit skewed towards the high end. I was hoping that we'd have some more settlements by now so we could sort of see if there's a trend that uh, teams are trying to figure out you know, where the, uh, where, where the, the balance line is between 2020 and a, a full season. Those two are, are a bit different cases. I don't know that they're representative necessarily of the majority of this hundred, but my, my gut feel is that you're going to end up with probably some more disagreements this year than, than normal. Uh, normally you might get a dozen-ish, uh, arbitration cases. I, I expect we probably be about double of normal at least this year just simply because there's just too much uncertainty. So I'm hoping that uh, the, these settlements that do happen between now and the deadline uh, start giving some teams and players some guidance on what to do, and we'll we'll see what uh, happens there. Fred, do you have something there? Well, one thing that, that, that we may have, may have missed is that last year's agreement with the union was that whatever they arbitration, usually your first-year arbitration provides a base year, a platform year, this year doesn't count like that. So it, it doesn't make too much difference in terms True. of project, long-term projection. What they give them this year, it doesn't automatically set a high, high platform for them. In other words, they gave Gibbons $4 million. That doesn't mean his next, his next jump's going to be another to 7 million. That doesn't mean that. This is not a platform year for him. What they give him, they give him. And then they have to go back to almost ground zero for next year. In some ways, that hurts Super 2 players. Uh, but they did it because the season was so short. That was part of the agreement uh, on the way that the way that things would be done. Uh, and I'm not even sure why the players agreed to that, but, but but that seemed to be thing. And it's worth knowing that about the platform year difference. I just wanted to throw that in there, and I'll go back to sleep now. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you, Fred, for dropping some knowledge on us there. And like I said, that a lot of this news will probably be out by the time this posts. So make sure that you go to Tomahawk Take. Dot com as I'm sure we'll have plenty of reaction articles once those numbers do come out. The only really, uh, I don't even know if you can call it news, but... Uh, the news item that we got from John Morosi earlier in the week saying that uh, the Braves are more focused on adding a left fielder than a third baseman, and the team expects Austin Riley to begin the 2021 season at third base. I don't want to be mean to anyone, but I, I take Morosi's stuff with a huge grain of salt. A lot of times he just throws stuff out there, but I, I immediately tweeted that I think that would be a mistake if the Braves were automatic or just mainly looking at left fielders, thinking that Austin Riley you know, has to play third base. I tend to think that there's a lot of better options out there 
at third base. Um, it does make sense that the Braves are more focused on a left fielder because they don't have one, so I don't doubt that part of it at all. But the second part that he put in there, talking about Riley being the starting third baseman, and, and I like Riley. I know I know Fred's not big on him. I think me and Alan are kind of the same boat where we feel okay about him uh, but don't exactly love him. But if there's an opportunity out there for the Braves to get a big bat at third base, they they should definitely be all in on that. But I, I obviously understand, you know, like I said, the first part of that in finding a left fielder. I think the Braves have to find two outfielders this offseason. But, Alan, I know you kind of wrote wrote this article up here on that on that report from Morosi. Uh, anything you'd like to add about it? Well, there are some good options for third base, and there's a, a, fair, a fair list of hitters there, really. But the the real trick is I if this report is in fact true, let's just state that up front, is that this is an assumption, but it's not necessarily a fact. If this report is true, then it may be an indication that the Braves have made a conscious decision that it's going to be easier to obtain a left fielder than it is a third baseman. It may simply be that the trade market isn't there for third base. We've talked about guys like Chris Bryant, the Cubs, for whatever reason, have simply decided to hang on to him for whatever they can get, and they're not going to get the price that they seem to be publicly going after. Jose Ramirez of Cleveland, I my opinion is that they should probably try and get their best deal from for him since they're not going to be competitive this year, but uh, at the same time, there's some good reasons to keep him. Nolan Arenado, it's about price. Justin Turner, it's about his age. Kyle Seeger, not so much his price or or anything else other than maybe the fact that he's aging and his production may be down. Some of these other guys, yeah, uh, they'd be good additions to the team, but do we want to pay that price? And that, that's where I think uh, the problem is. You've got a skill position where it's sometimes difficult to obtain a really good defender and a good hitter in the same combination. In left field, it's easier to get a hitter, and you don't worry so much about the defense, particularly since the Braves have some excellent defense elsewhere. So I, I think it may simply be a choice and not so much a uh, a desire that they really, really want uh, Riley at third base, but that might be simply easier to get the bat in left field than anything else. Yeah, my, my problem with that, Alan, though, is that what there just doesn't seem to be a lot of impact bats out there for left field unless you're getting George Springer. Uh, I mean, the only other two big bats that come to mind are Ozuna and Brantley, and you know both of those have their defensive efficiencies. So, and, and I get what you're you're saying too, and it, you're, you're exactly right. You know, the big third base options that we're talking about are are trade options, and you know, Antopoulos has not been willing to make a, a big trade and give up, you know, top prospects since he's come to Atlanta. And that's probably what he'd have to do for any of those third base targets out there. So I, I get that. And I think you're probably spot on with that assessment that, you know, Antopoulos sees the, the third base trade market out there and isn't willing to, to pay the price. But if that's the case, I don't know where you get a big bat in left field unless there are some trade candidates for the outfield that we're not thinking of but well there is one one good big bat still available out there in the left field market that we don't talk about much and that's the two-headed monster adam duvall and jock peterson both you could probably sign them both for less than one of those big free agents and the combination platoon uh between the two should be outstanding in terms of production 
doesn't seem that they want to go there at the, at least at this time. Yeah, I mean, I think we've talked about that that possibility a good bit on here, and it it makes a lot of sense as a fallback option, in my opinion. Um, you know, yes, on paper, that should be a deadly combination for a platoon partner. Um, we've also seen what Duvall does in a platoon role when the Braves first traded for him, and it didn't go so well. Um, so I don't I don't know how well that will will go for him, but. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been talking about Jack Peterson all off season. I just figured nobody else wanted to to hear it anymore. But I think he's an uh, an obvious choice for you know at least a left handed you know bat off the bench who you know can start a fair amount in the outfield. But um, well, I, I will I will throw in this when when he was when Duvall was platooning with Riley out in left field before that wasn't really a true platoon it was trying to see who had the hot hand at the time and that uh, early on didn't give Duvall very many at bats because Riley was on fire then uh but once he cooled off then it, you're right it kind of became uh, a bit of a, a case where he just wasn't getting the right uh, guys to face but again it was two right-handed bats there it wasn't a righty lefty kind of a thing so i'm not sure that the uh the jury's in on on that one yet but at the same time uh the the numbers seem to suggest that the platoon split does work for Duvall, although certainly if uh, he has to wait on left-handed pitchers, then he's not going to get a lot of ABs on a consistent basis. Well, I think when he came over in 2018, it was actually somewhat of a platoon with Ender, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Not necessarily, obviously, they didn't both play center, but when there was a right-handed bat in there, Ender was in and uh, vice versa. But you're right with the problem with that, with being a right-handed platoon bat, is you don't you know, you're facing righties, you know, 70% of the time. So, you know, you're not in there a lot. So it's hard to really get in a rhythm that way. But, um, Fred, any, any thoughts on, you know, left field versus third base and what the Braves might be targeting? I, th- I, you know, I think you have to make, take the best available player and, and go from there. We've, we've kicked this around a lot. Uh, there's no perfect answer for this. In, in Duvall's defense, as a brave, Snitker kept playing him against right-handed pitchers that ate him up in his career, and they continued to do that. But when, even when he was a red, his right-handed his split his splits as a, a part-time player weren't all that good because he didn't get enough at bats, and he's a guy who needs to swing the bat pretty regularly to stay in a groove. I don't. It's not that I think he's a, he's a bad option, but again, I don't think I don't I don't think they'd let him walk if if they'd. Uh, if they decided that they wanted to do a platoon out there. Um, I like the Benintendi idea. I know that some people look at last year and say, oh, it was horrible, but, you know, he it, the last two seasons he's been hurt. He carried leg and, leg and foot injuries all through 2019, and uh, he, he pulled a oblique and, and played only 12 games last year. But healthy Benintendi's, uh, Benintendi had better projections than Drew Waters ever had, uh, everything but speed. So, you know, when you say, well, you know, I want to prefer Waters, Waters projects not as good as Benintendi on, on strictly scouting scores, except he's a little bit faster, and only a little bit faster when Benintendi, when Benintendi had good legs under him. But I'm not sure that's going to happen either. I think, you know, I, I believe you could see Peterson. I do. I think Peterson's a, a guy that, that you could get, and you could pick up a Brian Goodwin or something as a bench bat to, uh, to play against, uh, play against left-handed pitchers a little bit and play a little center field now and then. Um, but 
I just I just don't think there's an answer that we haven't kicked around and kicked to death. And and that's there's until they do something, we're kind of we're kind of beating this dead horse. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like I said, we're a month away from spring training starting and we've been combing through these candidates for for two months now. And the part that scares me is that there's a couple of really good options out there. And if it's not those, then uh, I don't know. There's nothing really that that excites me. Um, But Anthopolis has, you know, come through on the offensive side of the past two off seasons with Donaldson and Ozuna. And so, you know, I have to have some faith that he'll figure something out and it'll probably be, it'll probably be the one guy that we haven't talked about over the past two months with uh, the way Antopolis typically works. But um, yeah, we, we've certainly covered that topic quite a bit uh, here in this off season and I'm ready to just see something happen. Um, on that note, Fred, I want to kick it back to you because you wrote an article on Alex Antopolis and the job that he's done uh, since becoming the general manager of the Braves. And it's a really great in-depth article. Uh, make sure that you go to tomahawktake.com and, and check that out. But Fred, I wanted to kind of just give you the floor to uh, give a quick synopsis uh, on the article, what you, what you came out with. Well, the, uh, the question was, uh, how good is he? How, how, how much, how well has he done? How good is he? Um, do we trust him? And, and, the first thing I want to say about this is I did not try to grade him against other GMs because, quite frankly, uh, every GM job is different. You know, I would, you know, there's some, there's, if you ask me for the top GMs in the game, he wouldn't be on my list, but that doesn't mean he isn't good at his job. The GMs rotate out there so fast, uh, around the league, uh, and we see there's a lot of the same faces in there, and there's probably a handful that you could say these guys would get a job anywhere and do well. Um, but the rest of them, it's pretty much the luck of the draw. If you get a if you get a GM who's right 70% of the time, man, he he's been really good because even the best, even even the best in the game have have made some really big boo boos in their time. So let's not think that I'm saying that Anthopolis is bad at his job. That's not. What I will say is that the teams that won for him were built on players that John Coppola acquired. And the player, and since he came over, he hasn't drafted very well, uh, and he hasn't, uh, like the 2019 draft, in my opinion, when, when he got past the first two players, you were drafting players who were unrated, and who, uh, and you're unrated for a reason. Uh, you know, the, the finding the Mike Piazzas out there at the 534th pick or whatever, um, there are stories because that doesn't happen. And, you know, after you get it's Brandon Shoemake and Langel and Langeliers in, in two thousand and then that's it. And the rest of them, you know, we get excited about them because, well, uh, the media pumps up uh, prospects to us when there's nothing else going on, and we get excited about them and watch them play. We like them play. There's nothing wrong with that. But let's not confuse prospects with major league players. They're not. And the, the percentage of minor leaguers who actually get to the major leagues and make an impact is, is like 1% uh, of all of them that get signed. Now, what he's done is, as you said, he struck gold with Josh Donaldson. He turned around and did it with Marcelo Zuna again. Um, on the other hand, his pitching signings, uh, I'm not sure I'd suggest that was really good. Cole Hamels didn't, uh, didn't play because he was injured. He, he sat around his thumbs and he waited, uh, for, uh, Dallas Keuchel for half a season and he got, uh, half of a Dallas Keuchel. Uh, 
and I didn't think Keuchel was a fit even if, even at the start of the season, but he, he just wasn't, in my opinion, the right guy at the right time, but it was what you could get because you wait. Uh, so in the last year, uh, this year, he came up and grabbed two pitchers right away. I'm not sure I would have signed either one of them, but okay. He's got pitchers now, but he hasn't got that bat. And I don't know how many years you can throw a dart at the board and hit a bat that's going to have a great year. Uh, you know, it, Maybe he brings Ozuna back and he's wonderful, but Ozuna's been a streaky player his whole career. Maybe he comes back and goes into a funk and you've signed him for five years and he can't play defense and he's not hitting very well, and I don't know. I mean, I like Ozuna. He was great in the clubhouse and all that, but I I just think that some of that is, okay, the statistics look like he'll be a good option maybe this year, and they hit it. But I was for bringing Don- Josh Donaldson back, and, and he went to Minnesota, and like I said, when he played on turf, his legs went again. So I, I just don't know that it's easy to get along with. The thing to what I said at the end of the article was, look, um, I would say he's done okay, but he hasn't inspired anything. I haven't seen anybody inspired by the way he's done his offseason um, at the break when the team's already rolling uh, he stuck in and he grabbed some relief pitchers in two years. And in the last year, he got a couple that were good for, for two years. Um, but the first year wasn't very good. And then last year, he went out and signed Tommy Malone. And nobody has explained that to me ever. And, and he can't explain it because it was just, it was desperation in my opinion. There was, he just signed what he could get for cheap. So I guess I would say, yeah, he's as good as most of the GMs in the league. But he's not a he's not a guy that I put way right at the top of the list because I just think he hasn't done that. And to be fair, uh, the whole idea of him coming in and being a gunslinger because he pulled those two big trades in Toronto, uh, those happened three years into his system, into his into his reign there, and he was going to rebuild until Joey Bats figured out he could hit 54 home runs in a year. And then Edward Gar- and Garcian started hitting, and he looked around and said, "We got to go." And then he went and bought half of Miami, um, and that sort of worked. And then he traded for Donaldson, and that did work. And then he traded for Tulowitzki, and that didn't work. So I think that he – and he also signed a couple of relief pitchers. He got in a bidding war over a couple of relief pitchers, uh, gave a gave a uh, extension to a relief pitcher that uh, lasted a year and a half of his five years before he was out of the game. So I think he's uh, a man who is uh, – created by his history, and uh, he has learned some lessons, and the lessons he's learned are to be conservative, take what you can get, and hope for the best, and and that's essentially the way I see it so far. Uh, I Again, I don't know that anybody, I'm not going to name anybody who could have done better, but I, I look around and I say, okay, Mark Shapiro, for example, came into Toronto after AA left, rebuilt the, rebuilt the minor league system, uh, traded for three players, traded or signed players that are the three in the top 100 uh, player, uh, prospects in the game. Has Bo Bichette, uh, Kevin Biggio, uh, Lourdes Guriel, uh, traded for Teoscar Hernandez, uh, traded for Reese McGuire, uh, and he's out there and, and went out at the break and signed Tyon Walker and, and Robbie Ray. Okay, they didn't win, but gee whiz, nobody expected them to get close. To me, that's a good move. Now, you can say, well, you know, he didn't win anything, uh, and it was a short season. But over the time that he was up there, he did strengthen the farm system. He did uh, sign players in, that turned into prospects and turned into major league players pretty quickly. Uh, and he's kept the system turning over. And I have not seen that yet. 
Uh, I put some of that down to the internet lack of international drafting and the penalties we lost from from uh, the Coppola scandal uh, and and the fact that Coppola blew up his pipeline when he left. And some of that is is fair. Most of that's fair. Uh, I don't know what he would do with a clean slate, but we're, I was asked to look at what he's done and what he's done's been okay and lucky. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with that assessment, and and that's somebody who you know I like Antopoulos. I think he's a good GM, but I, I think you're right where he's just kind of stayed in that middle ground, that safe space. You know, I, I, I've said this numerous times now. At some point, you have to go for it, and Antopoulos hasn't done that yet. And it's like it, it's this battle between being good for ten years or winning a championship now and, and it's like he doesn't want to rip up the farm system and, and jeopardize the future in order to try to go for it now um and maybe he feels like it's not the time but if, if not now i don't know when um the braves have a solid core of young players and they just need a couple superstars to come in and, and support them you know you look back and obviously you can't compare the dodgers payroll and the the Braves payroll, but they went out and traded for Mookie Betts and got their World Series. You know, the Nationals went out and signed Patrick Corbin and got their World Series. You know, the Astros back when, you know, went out and traded for Justin Verlander and got their World Series. Uh, the Royals back in the day went out and got Johnny Cueto and, and got their World Series. Not that, you know, Cueto is necessarily one big part of that, but the point is that these teams have gone for it. They're, they They saw their window and they went for it. And, and Antopoulos hasn't done that yet, and it's like he's so afraid to do that and risk the future that I'm afraid he's going to miss this window, and it's going to pass him by. Now, I don't know that the Braves are one big Mookie Betts trade away from you know, being surefire World Series contenders like the Dodgers were, but definitely, and I know we talk about it every week, but you trade for somebody like Arenado, that's, that's going for it. And, and I will never fault a GM for doing that. But, Alan, I just – Antopoulos hasn't done that yet. I don't know if he will, and that's the only thing that really scares me about him as a GM is I don't know if he's actually going to pull that trigger and ever go for it. Yeah, when Fred was going through that, I was thinking about the kinds of GMs that are out there. And really, there's there are a couple of different kinds. And you've got the caretaker GMs like for teams like the Pirates or Brewers or, or – other clubs that are sort of sitting back in the pack or or in the fringes of being contenders that really don't have the resources to to do a heck of a lot in, in terms of contending or or going for it if you if you want to use that term then you've got other clubs uh the Mets have just jumped into this new group where they've got some money they've got some resources the Braves have had some resources and and decided to use them in the last a uh, couple of years but Again, they haven't done the marquee thing quite to get uh, over the top. And, you know, we talked about that last week, too. I w- I'm looking for the Fred McGriff trade. I'm looking for for the one that really makes everybody sit up and take notice. Is that an Arenado? I don't know. But it might be a Jose Ramirez. It could be an Eugenio Suarez. It could be any of those guys who are impact players who might require an overpay to get an overpay, at least on paper. Sometimes these overpays don't ever pan out too, because you're, you're sending prospects that are still prospects until they pan out. 
and really, if you look at the history of of these kind of deals, there haven't been too many that have worked out for the team that got the the big player. So you, you mentioned Mark Shapiro. Um, anybody who's been with a team as he was with Cleveland for twenty plus years, you kind of need to take notice of how he does business. And now he's been extended by Toronto, so it sounds like it's going to be you know the better part of a decade over there uh, by the time he's done. He's doing things right, and I, I do think that uh, there, there's merit in looking at guys like that who can maintain a team, can uh, make a competitive team, and and do it without necessarily a lot of flair, a lot of uh, uh, notoriety, or, or, or a lot of notice, I should say. When you yes, when you look at it, Anthopolis has had a lot of hurdles to overcome here in Atlanta. He uh, had to sort of rebuild a a front office, figure out who was going to be loyal to him, and, and really he did clean house to uh, to get uh, the Coppolella guys out or those that have been disgruntled under Coppolella out. He's sort of started afresh there, but I do think that he's thrown some of the babies out with the bathwater. I, I think that uh, the loss of Brian Bridges uh, for drafting has certainly uh, been notable. As uh, Fred pointed out, that we've got... Uh, some interesting drafts lately that have not really resulted in impact players. So I don't know. Jury's still out overall, but I think we need to uh, see a couple more years. But I will be disappointed if we start having to write articles in about five years asking why the Braves didn't win a championship. So I don't want to have to do that. <laughs> and I didn't, certainly don't want to see that as a fan. Yeah, no, that's going to be quite disappointing. Um, there was a tweet the other day where they were projecting like the next 10 World Series winners, and I think they had the Braves winning in 2025. I'll take it if they win it in 2025. Uh, you know, if they don't win one in the next four years, though, I, I would kind of consider that a disappointment with the young talent that they have, um, and as well as, you know, Freddie Freeman. He's not necessarily young anymore, but, you know, they're leading the charge still uh, with the guys around him, you know, like Acuna and, and Ozzy and, Dansby and Soroka and Freed, uh, I mean, the the core is there to win a championship. You know, he just has to, to build around them and, and put the final pieces into place. And hopefully he does that. Hopefully he surprises me and, you know, trades a, trades the waters, trades a, you know, any of whatever other top prospects we have left. The, the cupboard is getting uh, thinner and thinner uh, as the years go on. Um, but I, I want to see a... I want to see a big trade done. I want to see him go for it and and try to take this team to the top. If you don't get there, then that, that happens. But like I said, I'll never fault the GM for making that big move to try and win a World Series. A couple other things I wanted to mention on the way out here. Uh, on uh, also on Friday, so we're recording this on Thursday. The begin we'll begin the international market free agent signing. Uh, the Braves are expected to jump in with a big signing uh, this this time around. I'm not going to try to pronounce the kid's name, but uh, he's an 18 year old shortstop. Um, most have him ranked in the top 30 uh, of the international um, prospects that'll be coming out. So. And they're expected to give him 1.5 million of the like 1.52 million that they have available. 
Uh, so it'll be the only only big signing that they do, but it'll be the first time in a while that the Braves have made a big splash in the international market, and this will be the last year of the restrictions on the Braves. That's uh, great news. Hopefully they'll be able to get back into the fold next year and be able to start signing some young guys to, to fill out the, the bottom of the prospect chart there that's become very thin for them. Uh, the only other thing is that uh, for those who um, are watching any Winter League action, uh, Johan Camargo is in the Dominican Republic uh, final uh, there with his team, Aguilas, I think is how you say it. Um, so if you're desperate to, to watch some baseball and watch some Braves players, um, you can watch Camargo in there. I think the series is 2-1. to one. His team is down in the series, um, and they pick up play again on Friday night. So so there's that. I've been watching some of those games, and it's it's fun. Um, I miss baseball. I want, I want something. Um, but, again, we're a month away from spring training starting, uh, which is great news. And... Can't wait to see Braves back out there getting ready. Before we get out of here, Fred, do you have anything else that you wanted to add? No, I just I hope we have some good arbitration signings. I hope there's no fight. I hope everybody gets signed tomorrow. And I hope it breaks the logjam uh, and we start seeing some movement. I want players to sign. I want all teams to get into camp with with a, with a roster that, you know, they're not looking through the dustbin on the last day to, to find a player to plug in to get a start. I just want to have a nice season of 162 games of baseball played well on television where I can watch it. And maybe I can even go to a game. That's my wish right now. I just want all start tomorrow when everybody signs their arbitration and everybody moves off to their appointed teams. Thank you very much, and let's go. <laughs> I'm on board for that. And I do think that it will kind of kick things off. Like I said, I expect things to pick up especially if the league will ever announce the rules for the upcoming season. I think that will help a lot. But, uh, Alan, any other final thoughts before we get out of here? At least they don't change them from week to week like NASCAR. Um, right. <laughs> no, I, uh, everything Fred said, plus go buy a hat from your favorite club or, or something, give it some, a little bit of extra revenue there. So if you can't buy tickets, then buy stuff. So <laughs> something <laughs> like that uh, would certainly help everybody out and uh, keep our guys going longer. Hopefully they can get the minor league set up uh, to go as well. They're going to be delayed at the double A level below simply because they're trying to keep guys separated and, and trying to get the protocols in place for those players that hadn't experienced that uh, stuff from last year. So hopefully that'll work and we get some good minor league development in this year too. Yeah. And on that note, I did see, um, a tweet earlier from JJ Cooper talking about uh, that all the minor league teams that received an invite to be associated um, with the, the minor league system have been accepted. And so with that, now they'll likely start working on a schedule for the season. Obviously, like you said, double uh, A below will be uh, likely be delayed as they can't enter spring training camp until the higher levels move out. So um, hopefully we'll get that news here shortly as well. That'll be exciting. For all you minor league baseball fans and prospect chasers, uh, I know I, I look forward to getting back out to my minor league park here in Birmingham. Um, so hopefully I'm we'll looking get some news forward, on that as well. And I'm looking forward to seeing the brand new one that's been sitting here vacant for a year yeah. <laughs> up here in Madison. So, yep, it, it'd be good to see that stuff. All right. Well, that will do it for uh, this edition of the Tomahawk Take Podcast. As always, appreciate 
all of you who tune in to listen, make sure that you subscribe and download the podcast wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, make sure that you are going to TomahawkTake.com and checking out the articles that we're posting on there daily uh, to keep you informed throughout the, the off season. Um, and that will wrap things up. We'll talk to you guys again next week. With all this news about arbitration filings and international signings, this has been the Hot Stove Interrupted second 2021 edition of the Tomahawk Take podcast, a production of TomahawkTake.com and Fansided LLC, a subsidiary of Minute Media Inc. Opinions expressed on the show today are solely those of the participants. Minute Media disavows all of them. All rights reserved. Some of the musical selections used today come to you under the auspices of the Creative Commons license, terms of which are available at creativecommons.org slash licenses slash buy slash 4.0. These were pieces by Kevin McLeod entitled Fretless and Cumbiac. His works are featured at incompetech.filmmusic.io. All other selections used come via rights purchased by TomahawkDick.com. Thanks for tuning into the podcast today, and we'll all look forward to that big trade together. It's coming soon, right? We'll see you out for the next inning.